Welcome back to the Shh, Don't Talk About It podcast. This is Megan here to introduce this week's summer remix. Happy June. Happy Pride. This week, in honor of Pride, we are re-releasing our season four episode, The B Word, where we had the chance to sit down with the crew from Cat Call Magazine and talk about bisexuality. This was a huge episode for me personally, because it was the first time that I was on the record that I was out on the podcast as a bisexual woman, and that felt like a big deal. To be honest, uh, it's a label that I'm still not coming to terms with, but thinking about what it means for me as a person. It's something that I realized in my 30s, late in life, and it was so fun to have the chance to talk with a group of people that shared my experience, that understood where I was coming from. It's one of the first times that I've felt really seen and really a part of the community. We also wanted to re-release it, not just because it's Pride Month, but because as we head into this Pride Month, there is so much hate and homophobic bigotry being spread. I'm sure we're all seeing the absolute bullshit happening right now about the Target Pride displays. And we wanted to put this episode back out there as a way to share what the bisexual experience is like, what the queer experience is like, but also to showcase queer joy, queer thought, the importance of being in community. We recorded this last fall, fall 2022, and since that time, the stakes for the queer community and especially the trans community have only gotten higher as we're seeing waves and waves of anti-trans legislation happen across the country. And I think this episode is just a really nice representation of what our experiences are and what it can mean for us to be in community with each other, what it can mean to stand in our selves, to stand in our joy and to stand in our community Toward the end of the episode, one of our guests, Max, makes really important points about how critical community building and community organizing is and will continue to be in the coming years as we need to come together to push back against bigotry and hate to keep the country moving forward. And I just really hope that you all listen, that you enjoy, and that you really soak in the words of the team that met with us to talk about this topic. We get into what it means to be bisexual, dispelling myths, pushing back against bi erasure, pushing back against stigma that exists around bisexuality. And it's just a really fun time. So enjoy and we'll see you soon. Hi, I'm Raina. 
And I'm Megan. Welcome to the Shh Don't Talk About It podcast, where we talk about all the things we need to say out loud, but think that we can't. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to shed light on them. We're going to embrace them. And we're going to fucking love them. So join us on this journey as we get rid of shame and start talking about it. Welcome to season four, episode six. The B word. Mm, wonder what that could be. Ah, but what do we do first? Oh. Well, before we get into any episode, we crack the claws, y'all. Let me. There we go. There we go. Crack <laughs> and good. Raina's got her claw. I'm drinking a stupid protein smoothie. So, what did we talk about this week? What's the B word? Well, the B word is actually a spinoff of the L word, mm-hmm. that show. So we talked about being bisexual and yes. we had multiple guests on our show this week, which is exciting and new for us. Yes, it was so fun. We had Kelsey, Emily, and Max from Cat Call Magazine join us. Um, all three of them are bisexual. All three of them had really different things to say, really different experiences. And it was just mm-hmm. so fun to have such a deep conversation about it um yeah I feel like it went in like all kinds of directions that I wasn't even fully expecting yeah me too and it it was great I learned a lot and um again they were just very generous with um with their time and their stories and other people shared their stories as well you'll have to wait (laughs) and listen Yeah, that's true, Raina. I mean, I guess not to give too much away, but this is the first time that I ever fully have talked publicly about being bisexual myself and realized as we were talking with the crew from Cat Call that I've never even like actually formally come out, so to speak. So I guess this Mm -hmm. is it. Um, But yeah, it was just really neat um and you guys will just have to stay tuned and listen yeah so here we are here is the b word the b word hi everybody welcome welcome hello hi Hi. <laughs> Fun to be here with you tonight. This is our first yeah. multiple guests at one yeah. time episode. Yes. We're so excited. We're excited. It's going to be well, a good one. <laughs> we are honored to be the first. More than happy <laughs> to be. Well, and it's amazing to have so many people here to talk about tonight's topic because it is one that um, impacts a lot of people mm-hmm. and that a lot of that everyone sort of has their own unique experience with. So I'm really excited to get multiple perspectives in the conversation. Um, So we're going to have everyone introduce themselves in a second, but just to kind of get us to just kind of get us going here. um, Tonight, we are talking about bisexuality and really shaping the conversation around myths associated with bisexuality, by erasure, where do bisexuals fit in the community? I think um, 
I'm bisexual, my experience has been often and very uh, straight presenting and I'm in a straight present, I'm in a straight, really, I'm in a relationship with a straight man. So there's often questions of like, okay, like I know this is me, but also where do I fit in the community? Can I even really claim this identity? Like lots of questions around that. And we had actually a listener um, reach out to us way back in season one and ask us to take this topic on um, because yeah. this person was feeling that same type of way. Right. Um, so we're really honored to have three amazing bisexual people here to talk to yes. us about their experiences tonight. And why don't we go ahead and just have you all do introductions. Um, maybe we could start with Kelsey, who's here um, with well, everyone here tonight is with an organization called Cat Call. Kelsey, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Cat Call and a little bit about why you said yes when we reached out to you for this interview. Yeah, of course. So hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm the um, founder and editor-in-chief of Cat Call. We're an intersectional feminist um, women's and queer and inclusive and ally-focused um, uh, digital publication. So uh, we focus on stories in the Midwest and uplifting um, intersectional feminism in a way that we felt like was kind of missing from the the broader spread of of intersectional feminism media. Um, we're all located in Kansas City currently for the most part, so we tend to focus a lot um, in that area. But um, we've got a really talented team who just happens to all be queer, and a lot of us are bisexual, which is really exciting. <laughs> um, it's fun to have that kind of representation at your um, your, your passion project. So yeah, maybe I'll kick it off, off to Emily next. If you don't Thank mind. You. Uh, so I'm Emily and I am the managing editor over at cat call. I joined on with Kelsey about, oh, was it two, three years ago now when we both worked at a, at a different Kansas city magazine. And yeah, it's just been a wonderful community to talk about the things that are really impacting women and the LGBT community. And it's, yeah. Amazing. Thanks for being yes, here, Emily. Thank you, Emily. And last and, but not least, we have Max. <laughs> yeah, so uh, hi, everyone. So I'm Max Sheffield. Uh, I use they and he pronouns. So I'm non-binary and gender fluid, which I know we'll talk more about that later. Mm -hmm. So I actually first uh, just saw in a uh, feminist like leadership group that they needed some help with social media. So I started with Cat Call doing social media. And now I just, I'm a contributing writer with Cat Call and I do freelance like marketing and writing, you know, as well, so. Nice. Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for coming on. This is Thank the best you. crew. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, here we go. So like we were saying kind of at the start, you know, we wanted to create space for this conversation tonight to talk about, uh, to talk about bisexuality. And um, it's a convert. This is a conversation I've been ha actually really looking forward mm -hmm. to having because I don't have a lot of, I have a lot of queer people in my life, not a lot of other bisexual people in my life. And so I've been like, oh, I can't wait to finally get to talk to others. And I think part of the reason for that is that I didn't figure this out until, um, like didn't figure it out for real and actually start dating women until my like mid thirties. 
And so I always find myself so curious. I think we're really curious mm-hmm. to hear your individual journeys with figuring out, like, how did you come to your, into your sexuality? Was it late in life, like me, where you have to sit around, like feeling nervous about the fact that you like, don't even know what to do with another woman's body? Um, Or have you just kind of always known somewhere in between? We would love to just have you share, um, share what your journey has been in this way. Yeah, I can, I can kind of go first. Um, I, I think, to your point, I think it's really, it's often very common that bisexual folks come out later just because I think it's a lot easier for us to pass as straight. Um, and we, I know I personally repressed a lot of my like sexuality for a very long time, just because I was like, well, I, I like men, so I don't need to think about this other part of me that doesn't just like men that likes a lot of, a lot of other things that are out there. Um, so it, it took a little bit for me to come out and to, and to recognize that I was bi. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know there's like a, there's so many things we can talk about in this. I don't want to dive off onto too many tangents in terms of like internalized biphobia or biphobia within the community. But I think, I think just one really big stat that always stands out to me as a bisexual person is we actually make up the largest percentage of the queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I think I, I did a little quick Google, so I didn't mess this up, but <laughs> I know there was a 2013 poll that found that uh, 40% of people who identify as LGBTQ um, are bisexual. Like we are the largest section of that queer umbrella and yet we have a lot of there's a lot of stigma around Mm -hmm. us within the community um so I I know personally I think I think those kind of social expectations played on to my my own coming out I didn't come out until um after college but I kind of knew for a while before then I just didn't I chose not to think about it was kind of the way that it went um and then I I came out very loud um once I was in a straight presenting relationship um which that's a whole other thing we can talk about too, but, but that's kind of, that's kind of my own coming out story. I, I, I kind of slid out slowly Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the closet. (laughs) That's funny. That's a funny image. And I, I totally, I totally get what you mean. Um, because even once I, like, once I sort of had my, the recognition that like, this was something important about me, it's not like I like started announcing it. I just started talking about the women that I was dating and like sort of slipping that into conversation and yeah. letting people just make of it what they wanted to. Um, so I really identify with like the slow slide. <laughs> it's like a nice little slip and slide out of the closet. And you can, yeah. It gets faster towards the end, but it's like, you're, you're just like slowly slipping through at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. Cause then I could see that once you get into the water and then you're like, I'm okay. I'm here. The huge splash. <laughs> I'm out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Max, you were just nodding vigorously to that. <laughs> was it similar for you or, or different? So I feel like it was kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I think I realized as a teenager that I was by, mm-hmm. but I still kind of dated people who were assigned male However, I, uh, looking back, it was like, yeah, you were definitely queer because they were very, a lot of times they were effeminate or they would, they were, you know, dressing in women's clothes, gender non-conforming themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, 
I'm dating them and I also kind of want to be them because again, I'm non-binary and gender mm-hmm. fluid. So I feel like I like, again, I was in straight presenting relationships the majority of my, my twenties as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I feel like, and I almost came, like when you talk about sliding, I kind of slid back into the closet. My first relationship with a woman, when I identified as a woman, uh, I said to one of our mutual friends, well, I'm, I'm straight, but even straight people can have exceptions and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. so it was mm-hmm. almost like I'm like I'm dating a woman but and it's like it's like god damn it Max like why, <laughs> did you, why were you like in fact I think for me and we can talk more about like how like gender and sexuality and you know inter- in the internalized biphobia that like Kelsey mm-hmm. was referring to mm-hmm. when I came out as non-binary in 2019 it was honestly like a relief it's like oh there is like not only is there not a binary like with my gender, you know, I'm gender fluid, but like now I don't have straight and, and gay have no meaning to somebody who is mm-hmm. not in a binary gender anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's almost mm-hmm. like it was easier for me to come out as non-binary in some ways, you know, and just kind of own that and just be like, I like who I like. And that's about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to put a label on it. Like for the longest time, I wouldn't even say bi, I would just say queer because mm-hmm. it encapsulated my gender encapsulated kind of being, you know, somewhat like demisexual, like kind of, you know, encapsulated, like, um, you know, of course, liking more than one gender and just not having to explain it. <laughs> Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. that's just it. You know, I'm just, just doing me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I want to, I have a follow-up question to that. But I, before I, I, I want to hear Emily's story though, too, since we're all telling yeah. <laughs> stories, but I, I have a follow-up question to that. All right, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a very similar story to Kelsey. I also kind of slowly slithered out of the closet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's actually kind of a crazy story. How I finally came to the realization is two years ago, I thought I had COVID and it turned out that I didn't have COVID. I had a giant pulmonary embolism. Oh my gosh. Oh, so yeah. It was crazy. And yeah, came very close to not making it through that. And literally when I was in the hospital, I had a dream where I can't remember who I was talking to. It honestly might've been Kelsey. <laughs> and I was talking to her and I was like, I'm going to die. And I've never acknowledge that I like women too (laughs) and whoa yeah oh my god and so then I woke up and I was like well that was weird and then I really started thinking about it and you know it was just something that I had always grappled with I grew up in a very evangelical home where LGBT community was not an okay community to be a part of and so throughout really my entire life, whenever I thought, oh, that girl's cute. I'm like, oh, well, everyone thinks that like everyone mm-hmm. has thoughts like that. Mm-hmm. And that I, after I had that dream, I actually did talk to Kelsey in real life. And I was like, am I bi? And Kelsey was like, well, she's like, straight people don't question it. The same advice I had gotten when I came out yeah. to a friend, my friend was like, you know, straight people don't ask those questions. I'm like, damn it. It's like, you don't have to yeah. choose the answer, but straight people don't ask those questions. Yeah, they might, so... but most of the time they don't. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, and ever since then, it's just become more and more clear to me as I've gone through in this journey. I mean, one of my earliest memories is being like four years old, sitting at the table in preschool, talking to my friends about how it would be so much better if we could just marry girls mm-hmm. and boys. And so like stuff like that is there. And so it's yeah. just blatantly obvious when I think about it but yeah I'd always dated guys and I'm engaged to a man right now who actually Mm -hmm. also happens to be bi Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's something that I've never been in a relationship with a woman I if my marriage works out which I plan for it too I probably never will be (laughs) but I mean it's still a part of who I am Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. And to have it come to you in a dream like that is like your subconscious couldn't have been screaming it any louder, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, okay, there's so many things to ask about. So many I'm like, wait, oh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but now that we kind of have everyone's origin story and, and sort of a mix of like, I always knew this always made sense to me to, oh my God, I, I, like girls and I better admit that before I die and like everything in between we've got like such a great mix of experiences here yes but what when Max was talking what was sparking for you Raina oh yeah so what stood out for me is um you know coming out non-binary you know just claiming that so I guess this kind of leads to the question of pansexuality at that moment like does is that does that apply or so I think that's a really good question because bi and pan is, is so similar. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. feel that everybody has a very individual definition. Like if you identify as pan or bi, like, you know, you're, you can't be wrong about, you know, your own identification. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, for a while I did identify as pan, mm-hmm. but for me, my personal definition, and I don't want to claim this for anybody else, mm-hmm. but when I think of pan, I think of people who gender does not come into play when they're evaluating whether they're attracted to somebody. Oh, okay. And, okay. and so, and for me, by, for being bisexual means that you may have a preference or you may have like a, like you may lean one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know, and what's, what's somewhat interesting is because I'm gender fluid and my gender shifts my preference to like for um, other people also mm-hmm. shifts. Mm-hmm. So to say like, who do you like, do you have a preference? And it's like, yeah, but it changes. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, but I'm like, I'm kind of, I think that in some ways, and this is maybe hard and this is maybe why there is not a, there, as much visibility with bisexuality and pansexuality as there could be, is that we need to kind of like sit with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times with bisexuality, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and bisexuality has been historically accepting of non-binary people and of mm-hmm. gender non-conforming people and trans people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like there, you know, I claimed some biphobic beliefs before, like, oh, I'm pan because, you know, I am okay with non-binary people and bisexual people are not, do not attracted to non-binary people. Oh, and it was like, and that's, that's not true to be very clear, but mm-hmm, I like held mm-hmm. that belief because in my mind, again, there had to be a very clear delineation between pan and bi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and the world is gray, you know, like yeah. that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not true of pan people. That's not true of bi people, but bi people are 
can be non-binary hello you know they can Mm -hmm. be attracted to trans and non-binary people like so I think that's kind of sometimes the issue is like two conflicting or you know things can both be true and that's Mm -hmm. okay and that's hard I think for the community at large to Mm -hmm. grapple with yeah thank you for that thank you for that whole explanation because it's so true like there are multiple ways to look at things or multiple truths that do exist and it doesn't have to be so like rigid, you know, mm-hmm. with everything. Um, so I def- appreciate you answering that question for me. Kelsey, did you want to have something yeah. to add to that? I just wanted to mention that bisexuality isn't binary. Um, I think there's a big misconception that it is, um, which is totally fair for some people. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what they identify with, with the, that, with that label, I know bisexual, I, I really liked how Max talked about the difference between how they view pansexuality and like difference between being pan and being bi. Mm-hmm. Um, I know bisexuality for me is attraction to people like me and not like me. That's how I always view the kind of duality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one interpretation. But as as Max said, like bisexuality has always historically been very inclusive of non-binary, trans um, and gender fluid folks. So Um, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions I, I want to work on, like fight back is like, Mm -hmm. no, I swear we're inclusive. (laughs) We are very much inclusive. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting as bisexual people or pansexual people, like you are, we just exist in this like gray, gray space where you have to make your own meaning of it. And it's very confusing to um like deconstruct what compulsory hetero heterosexuality tells us we're supposed to have yeah. like I think for me that's why it took me so long like much like Emily I was like I always dated boys then men when I became a grown-up had crushes on girls that I thought were just really intense friendships uh-huh. um, because it didn't make it didn't cross my mind or make sense to me that those were like crushes like intense friendships because there were romantic feelings involved there was so much to unpack just within myself as one person let alone like trying to make meaning of 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 a way of identifying for an entire community it's like there's so many layers it's really it feels really complicated sometimes well and that grayness is also I think just a representation of what queerness is as a whole like our Mm -hmm. sexuality is fluid you you can identify with what makes sense for you there is no wrong answer about what what label you like or what lack of a label you like or or and you can change your mind and because we grow as people and we learn new things about ourselves so I think reckon I think I think there is a joy in that grayness Mm -hmm. it's it's the the opportunities are limitless and the way we represent ourselves are too yeah. Can we talk? I'd love to get, I'd love to talk a little bit about like stigma and misconceptions. Yeah. And um, there's kind of like the stigma and misconceptions about bisexual people within the queer community and then in the like broader, more mainstream community. So maybe we chunk it out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that like it, I guess that it's most reductive, I feel like often bisexual people are just seen as confused. So femmes and women are seen as confused straight girls or like, just, I'm just a little curious. I just want to kiss my friend. Woo. And then like, you're, but you're straight and you're going to wind up with a dude and bisexual um, men and masculine presenting people are seen as confused gay men. And it's just sort of this really reductive way that people get put 
in boxes. And that's not true, of course, but I'm just curious, like, how have you encountered that kind of, I mean, I'm even thinking about like the first season of the first L word. I might yes. be a little bit older than every, I, I'm like almost 39, loved the L word. Also, how was that not like an obvious clue that I wasn't straight? <laughs> um, but the, the first season of that show, Alice, the bisexual character is like constantly getting ragged on by all of her lesbian friends for being confused. Um, and I feel like that is a pretty good representation of like how bi people are seen in at least pop culture and to some extent in real life too. And I'm just curious how you've experienced that or what you've observed with your like friends and other and partners who are also bisexual. Yeah, yeah, Max, go ahead. So I think a big piece of in my twenties why I was somewhat in a denial was because when I was more open about being I, I was very frequently propositioned for threesomes by straight couples. Mm. And I feel like that's something that like the broader, like, oh, because let's, you know, we're going, most femmes and women are, you know, they're objectified and sexualized. You know, we're like, I uh, describe it as being like, we're like a dispenser for other people's fantasies and orgasms, you know? And I, I'll, I never took anyone up on that. And it just made me feel very devalued as a human like yeah. my sexuality is not something that you know is for show or mm-hmm. you know so I feel like that came up for me in my early 20s and I feel like that almost like made me like retreat back like we want to talk about like slithering out I'm like well no I'm not. <laughs> so I think it was one of those things that for me and you know and that still goes on, you know, like I'm polyamorous. And I think there's a, there's an idea that every bi person is polyamorous because we can't Mm. be monogamous because what if we cheat or what if we want to be with somebody else? You know, like there's so many, there's so many layers to that, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it just really gave me just like the ickies, (laughs) you know? And I was just like, okay, maybe I don't want to like own this label with Mm. with what, with what comes with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that being non-binary, like I said, I'm never going to pass as non-binary. We live in a binary world. There's no such thing as it. So now I'm just kind of like, well, fuck passing, fuck mm-hmm. labels, fuck all of it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm really cussing. I don't know if that's okay. It's a very, just making sure. Just usually fuck, so you're good. Okay, good. Yeah. But like, I feel like I didn't own it because there was a lot of baggage there. And now I'm just kind of like, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, I am who I am. I can't control cis people. I can't control how straight people view me. I can't control any of that. I can only control me. So that's kind of where I owned that. Yeah. And Kelsey, your face had a big reaction. I want to see what you were thinking there, but Max, (laughs) you're so right about this point. Like it's fascinating to me Mm -hmm. that like, this is an identity that frequently gets reduced just to fucking. Yeah. Like it's just all about the physical act of sex when like, that's not obviously the case but yeah Kelsey you your face looked like you wanted to explode there when Max yeah, I was know. talking Max, Max nailed it on the head I think it's just one of the biggest like frustrations I have with you know these kind of I'm like losing my words so basically a lot of bi folks get hypersexualized. like mm-hmm. we're expected that we're just very sexual beings and like I am a very sexual person, but that's not because of my sexual identity. And I've been put in positions before where I have been misjudged because of my identity. So whether I was 
dating, I was, you know, dating men who were like, what's it like to have sex with a woman? And I'm like, I don't know, bro. You tell me, like, I'm not here to entertain you or, or anything like that. Um, I also have a really good friend who's pansexual and her ex-boyfriend, um, freaked out about our friendship was like, I don't trust you. I feel like you're going to have sex. I feel like she's like, she's just going to have sex with you and you're going to cheat on me. And I'm like, just because we're both queer doesn't mean I want to fuck your girlfriend. Like there's just this intense expectation of, of, how we're supposed to perform because we like everyone. So don't we want to fuck everyone? And I, I think that's one of the biggest frustrations for me because mm. I, I feel very sexually liberated and it's frustrating when that's weaponized against me because it's my own choices and it's my body and you don't get to tell me or, or make expectations for what I should do with it. So yeah. I, I got heated. I got real heated. Max was yeah. crushing it over there. <laughs> <laughs> I could see why. I could see why. I mean, there is like this weird expectation that it's like, there's an attraction which is obviously more like sex is like an act you know but there's so much more involved in being attracted to somebody and wanting to be with them share space with them so it's like yeah so I could see why it could be upsetting and I could see why you would draw back and like I don't want to claim it because I don't want to hear the shit you know from everybody um but I love your take on it Max that it's just like fuck it you know I can't control everybody else but I gotta live my life I gotta do what's right for me and this is this is it you know and I'm glad that you got there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um Emily I think you mentioned that your fiance is um also bisexual yes and Max you had also mentioned before we started recording that when you date men you pretty much exclusively choose to date by men so I know that like Nobody here can speak for bisexual men. We don't have one necessarily on the podcast, but I'm wondering if I, I do feel like there's, there's certainly stigma for women and femme presenting people who are bisexual. And I, I suspect that that stigma is like tenfold for bi men. And I'm just curious if you can share what you've observed in friends or loved ones is like they navigate the the world is bisexual men. Like what is the bullshit that what's the, what's the narrative that they have to deal with? If for, if for women, it's like this over-sexualization, will you be my unicorn and my threesome kind of bullshit? Like what is the, what's the flip side of that for men? You know, I think what I've kind of witnessed Caden grapple with the most is feeling like he can't be as open about it. Like it's not mm-hmm. something he talks about that much where like I'm much more willing to talk about my sexuality whereas he doesn't Mm -hmm. as much and I mean he went through a lot of trauma as a kid where his first sexual experience was with another guy and his parents found out and put him in counseling with a Christian counselor Mm -hmm. so I mean there was a lot of trauma there which that kind of more gets into kind of the church aspect of that versus the gender role Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean that's really what I've seen the most from him is it's not an identity that he really wants to take on and scream oh I'm bisexual whereas Mm -hmm. it is like I'll wear a a bisexual pen and put it on my Facebook whereas yeah he he won't like if someone asks him asks him straight up he'll say yeah I like I'm bi but it's not something that he just comes out with yeah Max what are you thinking 
So listening to Emily, I, I really do feel similarly. One of the last um, five men that I like dated is last I heard, of course, I haven't talked to them in several years, but like they, like he went back in the closet. He started mm-hmm. dating a woman and I don't think he's like, oh no, I, 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 it wasn't being like serious or I was like, maybe I'm hetero flexible, you know, like, mm-hmm. like putting like a, like they have to kind of distance themselves from it, which is just so, so sad. Like I feel mm-hmm. very sad for a lot of the people that I've dated because um, they don't, they, they feel like they'll never be able to be out of the closet. And honestly, for good reason, right. I, you know, I mean, if you are facing things like conversion therapy or, mm-hmm. you know, like this ostracization, like I remember I got into like an actual fight with my mother and my grandmother, because I think offhandedly they're like, I would never date a bi man. And I'm hmm. like, I've been in relationships with several bi men. And I don't know why that what they did before they were with you is any of your fucking business. Like I got like all up in there. I'm like, why is it, you know, like I just got really, really heated on behalf of like all the, all the, the people that I've been with mm-hmm. that. Like I've even heard from, from men, they're like, oh man, like, I wish that I could be open. And it's Mm. like, and I see it, it's like a parallel with, you know, not to keep going back to this, but I'm currently like dating somebody who's non-binary, but was assigned male Mm -hmm. and the assigned male and assigned female experience of being non-binary is in some way similar, right? Because I'm going to be like, I'm non-binary, I'm gender fluid. And a lot of assigned male non-binary people like again not to make it a binary but like they have a different experience Mm because they do not feel comfortable being able to be you know themselves they don't like that person doesn't enforce their pronouns like like so it's like you know like doesn't correct anybody so far and that's fine you know like they have to live their own experience I'm not going to dictate it to them but Mm -hmm. like I see a lot of um just feeling like I wish I could be visible I wish I could but I can't Mm -hmm. And because the consequences do feel very different. So I will, I will definitely affirm what, what Emily is saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it does make me so sad to think about. And I I'm thinking back to like, I think I've even had conversations with, with like, I'm sort of, it's like a recovered memory I'm having right now of like a happy hour with a friend years ago who had matched with some guy um, on a dating app and he was cute, but he, um, he was bisexual. And she was like, I don't know. Am I, is it bad? Like, am is it bad that I, I don't know how I feel about that. And like, it's not bad to not know how you feel about it. And like, we, there's so, we all have like so much problematic thinking that we've internalized, but it, it is sad to think that there's so many people that have to hang out in the closet. Yeah. 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 I mean, to be honest, I'm even thinking right now about my last boyfriend, not my current partner, but the person I was with seriously before him who um, was male. He was not straight. Um, He was realizing that while we were together, it was two two not straight people in the closet together. (laughs) Um, We broke up and then both kind of went for it in different directions. But I remember the first time he told me what he was noticing in himself and how he was thinking about it. And I am sorry to say, I did not have the best reaction to it. I was, uh, I had actually like a pretty uncool reaction to it, um, because it took me off guard. It surprised me. I could make excuses for it, but, um, 
I feel, I feel bad about that now. Aww. I mean, I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis. So I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. There's I mean, a lot of, there's it's so just much what it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. so much internalized stuff that we have to work through. And yeah. I mean, so much of, of intersectionality and so much of queerness is like recognizing that you don't have all the answers mm-hmm. and you just need to ask questions and give yourself mm-hmm. like, I want to say grace, but that feels way too evangelical, but like give yourself <laughs> some, some, some comfort and knowing that like, there's a lot of shit we got to work through to figure out the right way to handle things because we're not taught. Um, how to be accepting of others. And, and we, I mean, I had so much internalized homophobia when I was growing up, I was also, you know, raised in the church. So you have to work through it in yourself and you have to work through it outside of others. And sometimes we react worse because we're looking in a mirror and we're not ready to face it. I think that's a huge thing to consider too. So, Mm -hmm. so I, Megan, I hear you, but girl, like we've all, it, it happens and you've learned and there's, and it's, it is okay to, to be, to, it's okay to learn and figure it out. Yeah. To like, ask yourself why, why after the fact, you know, and forgive yourself for, you know, because it is a a lot of conditioning that happens throughout our whole entire lives. And that's why it's so important for us to have talk about this. And like, because it's like, everybody wants to dance around the topic or not really 
nobody knows how to respond or they don't want to say the wrong thing or, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, you know, with asking questions or what if I say the wrong things or what if I, you know, there's just a lot. um, Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, as I'm remembering it now, so in the, Raina knows all of this. And actually the episode that'll come out right before this is all about infidelity. So the, this is a person where like um, uh, infidelity was an issue in the relationship. So I was already like insecure and like sort of always on my heels. And then when he sort of like floated this, I'm pretty sure my reaction was verbatim. So I have to worry about everyone now, <laughs> which just like was coming from a place of like, insecurity that I came by mm. naturally and problems in the relationship, but it's also like a really like biphobic thing to mm-hmm. say, like I sort of have to own both, both sides of it. Um, and he's dead, so I can't apologize, but in hindsight, I just, yeah, I would handle that totally differently now. And I think if someone, if my partner that I'm with now had that kind of reaction, when I came out to him, I would have been so hurt. And so it's just really interesting to like sort of reflect on that. Yeah, it is. But and it's also like you've learned from it and it yeah. definitely changed mm-hmm. your perspective or how you would, you know, respond if it happened again or yeah. whatever to anybody else, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, um, yeah. 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 Internalized bullshit man yeah so thank in you there. for sharing yeah, yeah. Well, sorry to listen to my like processing no. this as I'm like I truly it came to me as a recovered memory I was like oh shit like Joseph and I had that conversation like seven years ago I can't believe I'm just remembering it yeah, yeah. I, I'm thank you for creating the space to think about that sort of stuff because there's there's a yeah. lot we repress and I'm I'm honored to be here while you're thinking through it so yeah it's um it's not easy you know Mm-mm. I, I I would not know how to, you just don't know how you're going to respond, but this is why I like talking about all of this because it just helps, you know, yeah. kind of learn about a lot of things. So Max, I can't tell if you're like formulating thought. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I think that I kind of have something related to what Emily had said before. And yeah. I, I think, I feel like it's related, but maybe it's not, maybe it's just all in my head, but um, so Emily was talking about when she, like, when she was four, about how she's like, girls should just marry girls. Well, mm-hmm. I remember being a, you know, a teenager and arguing with my parents about, like, I should be allowed to date. And um, when I was 14, they're like, you can't date boys. And I'm like, well, you hmm. didn't say I couldn't date girls. That's <laughs> was my response. And they were like, oh, well, and then they allowed me to date boys only. they were like oh I didn't realize that was an option (laughs) so it was like like you're like I'm like you know I'm like oh is that the terms well here's my counter terms you know kind of thing (laughs) and and it was I feel like it's interesting because there is that conditioning there right that like I could just choose to date you know I can just choose Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you're constrained as a teenager, you know, I'm not, you know, you really don't have the full autonomy of your life. Right. So I think that was a piece of it, but it was like, I do think there was some inner conditioning there of like me for one, I think I was just being a smart ass. Right. Because that's just who I was. Um, and still am, <laughs> let's not pretend I'm still am a smart ass. Um, but yeah, it was like, yeah, I could just choose who I date you know? Mm-hmm. And like that, that means that that's, I'm straight if I choose to date boys mm-hmm. and I'm a lesbian of it, you know what I mean? Or I'm like, I'm gay if I choose to date girl, which is obviously not true, but like, yeah, it's like this conditioning, right? That 
it's a lifestyle choice. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. So I, think, I think that's internalized, you know, as a teenager, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the messaging that we have all received <laughs> since forever and ever <laughs> has not been good. <laughs> so this is all like literally just deconstructing and unlearning so much stuff that, and phobias and like, it's hard to, to like switch that in your brain or that's like, so I think just allowing everyone that their space to like go through it. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to use the word grace because I think yeah. <laughs> or com- compassion, compassion, compassion. That's compassion. a little better. Yeah. Just yeah. Because we all need that, you know? Like, yes. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, have patience with one another and compassion be, you know, uh, people are unlearning all this shit that society has told everyone for fucking ever, <laughs> you know, and the, and the ones that really needed to talk about it didn't feel safe to talk about it. So, yeah. well, and there's, there's no perfection in, in activism or in intersectional conversations. Like you're not going to get it right the first mm-hmm. time. You also might not get it right the second time, but as long as we're trying trying to figure it out and learn. I think, I think it's really important to recognize that. Cause I know as a feminist, I struggle with that. I'm like, I need to be the perfect feminist. It's like, it doesn't exist. You're going to fuck up a lot. Um, it's just all about overcoming it and working through it and constantly learning and constantly mm-hmm. admitting you're wrong. So yeah, I think it's, I think it, the more we talk about it, the better, the closer we get to understanding each other. Yeah. Do you I feel like, feel, Oh, go ahead, Max. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to respond quickly to Kelsey. I feel like right now I my realization was once I feel like I have like arrived or like I'm at a place that like oh yeah I get it that's when I don't get it and that's when I really <laughs> fuck up like right like I'm like I, I get it I, I'm I'm anti-racist I'm this I'm this and I no, that now you're because now you've gotten too comfortable and now mm-hmm. you're like leaning on your privilege so it's almost like if you keep that beginner's mind of like I'm learning and I will never stop learning mm-hmm. I feel like that's when I'm in a good like humble place where I need to be and that's true of like with anti-racism of like the LGBT ableism like all of those pieces of like that intersectional conversation it's like you have to keep that mindset that you will never arrive you will never get it completely right mm-hmm. yeah and I, I love that mindset like being in a place where admitting okay I was wrong I was wrong you know mm-hmm. like that's okay for people to do just to do and say like like so many people are so like they don't want to admit they're wrong or they're very prideful or they're scared to admit that they're they're wrong but like it's okay this is how these conversations are going to happen you know and, and like and you may offend somebody or you may you know like but you are if you come from a place of wanting to understand and wanting to learn then you're I mean how other people respond to you I mean that that's that's up to them right you have no control over that but if if your intent is good and if you're wrong then just admit that you're wrong you know I'm sorry I didn't know I didn't know you know but now I know and I appreciate you explaining that to me you know um, that's kind of like the where I like to be (laughs) so were you going to say something? Well, maybe? yeah, Matt, when Max was talking about the the sort of like perfectly teenaged response of like, I'll just choose to date girls then, which I like love the, I love the image of that. I was a smart mouth like that too. Um, but your point about like it not being a choice, you know, growing up, uh, I'm almost 39, Raina's 40. One. 41 <laughs> so we grew up in the Woo! 80s and 90s like the first 
uh, like openly gay person that I think existed in our pop culture was Ellen. Like mm-hmm. so much of the narrative was around quote unquote lifestyle choice. I think it's why we needed like Born This Way as a song. And I just wonder like, is that changing now for young people that are growing up now in this culture or is it really region dependent? Cause like I have also spent, mo- I spent half my twenties, all of my thirties now going into my forties in Oregon and California. So I don't feel like we are a good representation of the culture that like most young people are mm-hmm. exposed to. And I'm just yeah. wondering like, how are these narratives changing and are they changing? Yeah, I can, I can, um, speak to some experience around that. So I'm, I'm 28. Um, and so I, and and I feel like there's so, there's much better representation of queerness in media. This is the silliest comparison (laughs) like ever, but my favorite show when I was in like middle school and high school was gossip girl. And mm-hmm. I fucking loved that show. It's trash, but I loved no, it. I fucking love it too. Good. Thank you, yeah. Raina. I'm yes, so glad no. you get it. And they did <laughs> a remake, right? They did yes. a, there was one gay character. There was one gay guy, and they did yeah. a remake, which I haven't watched, but literally I feel like 80% of the new cast is queer. And just that stark comparison to me is queer and it's a diverse cast. And I was just like, yo, what the fuck? Like CW does that now? Like, excuse me. I know. So have I, you seen it though? Have no, you, I haven't watched. Oh, you, oh, you said you haven't seen it. Okay. I haven't watched any of it, but so maybe not the best comparison. But of course, <laughs> I'm over here like thinking about Gossip Girl for some reason. Um, but I, I, I feel like there's been, I, I feel like queerness has been a lot more accessible for younger generations, and I do think that's true. I mean, I, I can only speak on behalf of my own experience, but I do know, um, friends with children or, um, or uh, friends with younger siblings who come out much younger and feel comfortable coming out much younger who have classmates who are out um I have a good friend with a um their kid is like 10 11 years old and they're out as non-binary because they feel comfortable doing that so I I I have a lot of hope for for future queer folks Mm -hmm. because it feels like there's more more than just Ellen out there to tell to, to show you what queerness looks like yeah, it's so much more accessible just as with a lot of things because of social media, you know, I mean, it's yeah. helped um, with mental health, like mental health awareness is like, it's so much more accessible than it was, you know, for us as kids, for sure. I mean, I know, you know, my niece's friends, you know, she's 11 and they're, they're speaking about being non-binary, you know what I mean? So it's, they're, I'm like, I would have never known what that, that even meant when I was 11 years old, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just, I think it's only can, can get better compared to how it used to be, but obviously there's still a lot of work to be done, but, um, but just, you know, for my 11 year old niece to like have friends that feel open to discuss that and know what that means. Like, I think that's, that's amazing. Real different than it was Real in the different. 90s. <laughs> let us let these old grannies just tell you. Oh, hush. Oh, hush. Um. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I I agree with the hope piece. I think that I think it's really neat. And I I not to sound like an old person, but I think the internet and social media has a lot of handle on that because I think the one of the most important pieces of of surviving with your queerness is community and finding people who support and love you. And I I think our our access to people who don't live in our neighborhood or who you know live in other places or 
or are further away through the internet and social media makes it easier for people in my, in my own experience, I think. Absolutely. I mean, we're all connecting here. Emily. Yeah. So (laughs) to add on to what Kelsey was saying about, yeah, community, I feel like, I mean, when I was coming out two years ago, a big thing that was really helpful for me was TikTok. I mean, TikTok figured out that I was gay way before I did. <laughs> you're, algorithm, you're not the only one because algorithm figured it out. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, as I was going on that journey, I was relating a lot with all of these people that I was seeing on TikTok. And we know all of these kids are all over TikTok being fed very similar things Mm -hmm. and being exposed to more community, which I think is really, I mean, it's a really encouraging thing to see. My fiance is a high school teacher, so he works a lot with teenagers and, you know, we live in a pretty kind of red area his school district is a pretty red school district so he's had students come to him and come out to him and their parents get upset about it and whereas that part is a little more negative and a little more trying to think of the right word I don't know. It's not as hopeful, but these kids do have other ways to find that community and go outside of their family and their churches to see that it's okay to be who they are. Yeah. The support is, you know, unfortunately, you know, the parents aren't able to, to be supportive at that time. There is support around um, so much more now. And, you know, and they came to your husband, the right person to talk to, you know, it's just, it's good that kids are starting to feel open enough to to come out earlier in life, you know, so they can start experiencing it without shame. I'm glad you mentioned TikTok, Emily, um, because I was just thinking a few minutes ago about this, this discourse that pops up on TikTok. It seems like it goes in cycles. It's been pretty active, on my for you page the last couple of weeks and then I think it was a couple months ago too but the and it's always this pretty reductive like lesbians are biphobic lesbians don't want to date bi girls bi girls uh, girls women don't know how to approach lesbians you know like there's this weird sort of like niche infighting that happens in the community on TikTok um I'm not so sure that it's a hundred percent representative of life outside the internet, but it, it is, it is part of, again, like the stigma and the myths that exist. And I wonder, is that showing up on anyone else's FYP? Am I just toxic? Have, do you encounter this <laughs> out in the world? And what do you think of that sort of little fight that plays out in the community? Yeah. You're not at all toxic. I think, um, I think that's, I think that's uh, a representation of, of biphobia. And I think it also feeds into like gold star lesbians. Like, um, I don't know if you know, like the tears of lesbians, gold star lesbian is a, a lesbian who's never had sex with a man. Um, so I think there's also a level of, of that within uh, um, the lesbian uh, community. Um, yeah. I, I think, I don't, I wish I knew what the cause was. I mean, I wish I knew why people were biphobic. I, I, I think it feeds back to some of those same pieces of like, well, you just have more options than I do. So fuck you. Or, 
I don't mm-hmm. know, like, I don't want to be with a girl who doesn't know anything, you know, whatever that, that kind of looks like. And I, and I also think that's that sort of stuff um, we internalize and we get scared about. Like when I, when I was out, I'd only dated guys and I came out in my twenties. So I was like, I'm so scared to date women. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I love the idea of pussy, but I don't know what the hell to do with it. Like, I just, this kind of like, I feel like I'm starting over. Like I'm, I'm an adult, but I feel like I'm a teenager again. Cause I don't know how to kiss a girl without being an idiot. Um, and I think some of those fears get, get wrapped in and, and projected. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do see a lot of that and I agree it comes in cycles, but I think the one thing that is, um, more hopeful, I know we keep going back to that is I see a lot of pushback every so often of like, you got to stop, you got to stop that. But like mm-hmm. biphobia is not cute. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not fun. It's not quirky. It's you're, you're not saying what you think you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the louder we fight back, the hopefully the less we'll see it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a fight we're strapped in for, um, mm-hmm. but that's every queer person. I think, yeah, you know, Max, you look like you have something you want to add. Tell me if I'm wrong. I kind of do because it's actually a little bit more related to what, like, I think Emily was talking about. And I think it does tie into biphobia in like, so I feel like, you know, speaking to what like Megan and Raina were speaking about, like there were no like visible, like LGBT people. And the problem is there was, right? Mm -hmm. Like like, there's been, we've been around forever. And I'm not talking about just non-binary and trans people or just bi people or just gay. Like, you know, like we could talk about all people through history, like Oscar Wilde and um, Alan Turing and, you know, all these, like, you know, all these people throughout history have been in the community, but they have mm-hmm. been systematically erased. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to use a really like example for, because you talked about like, like Ellen, like think about like Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize until I, until social media, right, that Emily was referring to, he, Freddie Mercury was bi. Mm-hmm. He flat out said in an interview, I like to date women, but I prefer to have sex with men. That's a split attraction, like by, you know, like het romantic, but you know, mm-hmm. like homosexual, mm-hmm. but like that in like, in those frame of mind, that would have been considered bisexual. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, but he's not considered a bi icon. Right. Mm-hmm. When you think of Freddie Mercury, you think he's gay. Like that's, that's that, that's the social perception there. And I mean, I can talk about other people like mm-hmm. in that frame of mind. And I think about myself, I look for trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming representation and people who did not have that language. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Would, da- would David Bowie or Prince maybe had identified as gender fluid? Maybe if that word had been out there, it's possible. Sure. I don't want to put that word on other people, you know, necessarily, but like as somebody who is trying to find that, like mm-hmm. social media has opened like me up to like, oh, Emily Dickinson was a freaking lesbian. Like this person was like, Walt Whitman was bi. Like you, there's a lot of people in history who got erased and yeah. their identity was stripped from them. And social media has helped us reclaim our history because mm-hmm. it has been taken from us. So it's like on one end, yes, that is a very huge piece of biphobia. Like it's, you know, like again, that bi erasure of like, mm-hmm they're either gay or they're straight, depending on who they were with the most of their life, right? Or who they were visibly with at whatever point of time, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever was convenient for them. Like there's um, good historical proof that Abraham Lincoln was bisexual. Like he shared a bed with a man. Like, mm-hmm. like again, you'll never hear that in your, you know, in our like history classes, right? Because that changes our perceptions of some of these people. But mm-hmm. like, you know, it's important that like, that 
that social media has given us this oral history you know yeah. like there's still people alive during stonewall you know that we need to keep some of that those you know there were like trans men from like the 1920s you can find pictures of them like so i feel like you know just to speak of the the whole community like that stuff has always been there and you're right it hasn't been visible and mm-hmm. that is changing but like i think it's also just as important for us to look back at mm-hmm. our forebears and be like this is what that you know they had a different world maybe they mm-hmm. couldn't be out or maybe they didn't have the language that they do now you know so for whatever reason maybe the trans man had to like be like I'm a butch lesbian or whatever the case was I'm not you know I'm not saying talking about anyone specifically there but like you know that stuff wasn't there and you know we really I think that's social media has helped me connect in that way not just with like my own identity but like I want to see more people like me but oh mm-hmm. hey I don't have to look right now I can look like throughout like hundreds of years, you know? And I think that helps me and that affirms me and that makes, reminds me that this is not a new phase, right? There's a lot of people who are like, oh, bi people do it either for attention or it's a phase or it's just, no, we've always existed, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we're never gonna stop, you know? So I think that that is, you know, just to kind of speak to that, I think that is another way social media has helped us to reclaim Mm -hmm. some of that. Definitely, I can, yeah, I mean, everything what I heard was connection you know like there was no connecting everything back in the day there was you didn't see anything what you saw was on tv or in the news like you didn't have access to mm-hmm. so unless you were in the community unless you knew somebody you knew somebody like where are you gonna find this the internet didn't exist you know so it's just kind of like so now you have access and if and if you want to learn and you know learn about history I mean definitely i it's been around for a very long time you know um it's not a new thing people you know but it's just we're just talking about it a little bit more openly and I think the more people talk about it and I think that's why it's changed so much throughout history of, of the the terminology and because you're finding that this offends me you know so can we talk can we change the terminology that fits for this person or you know what I mean because as people talk, they're going to, they're going to find out more and more about each other or how they want, you know, how they present themselves and everything like that. And so I think everything is just like time to, yeah. So it's not offensive, you know, like you're not have to fit in like one box, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, I love the, I love the, that point. And also the idea of like bringing the full truth, uh, the full humanity of people back into the story mm-hmm. like parts of these historical figures or celebrities from the past or whoever that had to be hidden like can now just be known and it can be celebrated and mm-hmm. I think it's really like it's really beautiful to be able to consider someone as the full person they were mm-hmm. um and have access to that full story um they didn't get that in life, but like some of these, especially like some of the great artists that um, you were mentioning, Max, like we can appreciate them as the full person they were in the retelling of their story. That's yeah. really cool. Just to follow um, up really quick, I chose my, you know, it's a trans person. I chose Max and my middle name is Wild, W-I-L-D-E, to honor Oscar Wilde, who was oh. imprisoned for his sexuality. And oh, damn, I didn't know um, that. You know, and uh, I feel like, you know, he was one of the one of the very early on, very open about 
mm-hmm. writing about his sexuality. And I think, again, that, that ended up coming back to, to hurt him. But like, I feel like, again, I want to connect to my queer forebears. And mm-hmm. I think that was a way I could do that. Mm-hmm. So one, one thing yeah. I want to add too, I mean, we talk, we're talking about how, I think it's important to note that all of these these things we don't know is because they were actively erased from us. Mm-hmm. Like it it was with violent intent to to withhold that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is going to be a fight to uncover this, and it's going to be a fight going forward. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I I don't know. I just wanted to like recognizing this and feeling empowered by our own past and history is 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 an act of radical. It's, it's radical in itself, just because you're un- unpacking so much that's been built to stop you Mm -hmm. yeah they definitely try to hide it and erase it from from everything so well maybe (laughs) anymore maybe that's a good place maybe that's a good note to kind of wind down on like where do you feel what do you feel needs to come next like we've moved so far and yet there's still like so much to do in the queer community as a whole and then to like continue to push back against biphobia by erasure like what do you what do you think sex? What's what what's getting you excited in your activism? What are you thinking about these days in that regard? We're, we all have intense thinking faces on. I love that question. It's such a good question because it's true. We like we we want to look forward. I know we're talking about how important it is to look at our our foundation and, and history, but yeah, what is what is next? I, I know we've talked a lot about hope. I think I have a lot of joy and compassion and hope for um future queer queer folks. I mean, I just I feel so empowered by joy. I mean, when I was in when I was at Pride earlier in June. Um, it's just so, it feels so wonderful to see so many young faces and families and old faces and just the breath of folks who come out to support and celebrate who they are. I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I, I have, I have a lot of anger, obviously, because I, I hold that and that's what fuels my activism. But I, I think looking forward, I just want to, I want to lead with so much compassion and love and gentleness and understanding. I mean, that's, that's the, the phase of my um, my journey that I'm at. There's a lot of work, but I'm I'm trying to do it in the most soft and supportive yet strong <laughs> way. Mm-hmm. If, if those kind of if that kind of just juxtaposition makes sense at all, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. But yeah, that's that's where I'm sitting. Yeah, to kind of go off of what Kelsey was saying about yet yeah, going with the with the future generations. I mean, I have two little nephews. One that's two almost three and another that's getting ready to be six and I plan to be totally open with them about my sexuality and try to teach them because I mean they're also they're growing up in a really small Missouri town where they're probably not going to meet a ton of LGBT people and so just to try and and teach them and show them who I am and who other people are is really kind of what I am really looking forward to over the next few years as they get older and are able to understand those those parts of me Mm -hmm. I love that yeah I was just thinking about my little niece who was just born like same same thing um uh yeah and she lives in a 
town in Arizona, conservative place, like just hoping she gets to have access to all the things she deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our own visibility is empowering to others. Like, I think, I think we, I often don't give that enough credit of, of just being your true self and showing people that you exist Mm -hmm. in itself can be empowering for others. Yeah, absolutely. And comforting to, to somebody who wants to do the same and they Mm -hmm. feel okay to do that now, you know, I think that's huge. Max, what about you? So not to be a Debbie Downer. I'm going to turn up on a, on a high note at the end. Okay. I promise. All right. I'll try to. But you know, with, with Roe versus Wade overturned mm-hmm. and we're looking at Oberfell and we're looking at Lawrence v. Texas is potentially yeah. next, both specifically targeting the LGBT community. So I feel like we really do need to have a very long-term vision mm-hmm. because they think that these things are just going to go without a fight. And they're, they're not right. And I feel like because we're facing these severe attacks, like Missouri, for example, was trying to ban HRT for um, adults up to 25 years old. So you can buy a gun, but you can't uh, take a estrogen or testosterone, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. thanks, Missouri. They didn't pass it, but like, it's coming, right? Like, yeah. we, we need to accept that that is a very real possibility. I think that this immediate danger, I'm really hoping is going to really breed this new wave of immense like solidarity mm-hmm. and like, you know, like, you know, bi people will hopefully, you know, and like trans people, people who, you know, often are kind of sidelined in the LGBT community. Um, you know, we're going to be like, you know, we are in an immediate threat, you know, we mm-hmm. all need to like, again, live in that discomfort, like we talked about in the very beginning, but mm-hmm. also just kind of be like, you know, this is what affects one of us is going to affect all of us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this type of situation that we're in, is going to make that so immediately apparent that I'm really hoping that some of this biphobia is going to hopefully like be in our rear view and we can mm-hmm. like move past it and we can really be like, Hey, we're all in, in, in danger. We're in threat. Mm-hmm. you know like our existence and we're like you're talking about visibility I am going to keep on telling my story no matter what like that is always going to be something I do like that's partially why I chose the name that I did because I'm like I'm not going to be erased I refuse mm-hmm. to be erased that is not mm-hmm. going to happen that's not an option so and I think that that's what they want they want people to be like, oh, you're going to do X, Y, Z. Well, I'm going to go back in the closet. And that's just not ever going to happen. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that feel the same way. And so I think that that is where, really where we need to be is not only is this visibility empowering the others, but it's, it's the guardrail. It's like, no, you don't get to push me back into the closet. I am here. I'm not going away. I will always be here. We were always here to begin with, right? Mm-hmm you know, to go back to that historical perspective. So I think that, you know, it's good. Just, it, we're, we're hitting a really big, I think, watershed moment. And I think that that is going to be really exciting to see. It's going to be scary in some ways, but it's going to be also exciting because there is a lot of changes and this kind of come from younger generations. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Thank you for bringing us home on that point. You yeah. know, is really like, speaks to the moment we're in now and 
yeah, it's kind of time to get past the stigma and the phobia and the community in fighting because there's much bigger fights to have mm-hmm. with people that don't want us to exist. So I just really appreciate you like bringing it home to that, Max. There's just way too much at stake. Yeah. There's yeah. Too much. Yeah, definitely. For I mean, as far as the community has come to now taking things back or taking things away like what the fuck like yeah seriously (laughs) literally yeah just what the fuck yeah (laughs) i think that's the closer right what the fuck Well, I also just, gosh, I appreciate having the three of you so much. I appreciate you taking us on the arc of like, don't ask me to be your unicorn. (laughs) Like, this is not just about threesomes and sex, all the way to the really important history and the political activism that's needed now in this moment. And um, we're so grateful to have you on. Where can our listeners find you where can they find cat call how can they get involved with your work if they want to yes love to hear it thank you for having us too i just i know you said thank you for having us but it's just amazing to be able to talk with you and hear your experience megan and Raina, i can hear your insight also i think it's really valuable so thank you um yeah you can find cat call at cat call meg that's m-a-g like magazine i'm from minnesota so my vowels sound ridiculous um i'm sure um <laughs> you'll share out what the actual link is we'll put um, it in the show notes yeah. yes. <laughs> com. um and we're on a host like a, a bunch of different social media platforms too gosh that makes me sound so old when i say it like that but find <laughs> us on facebook and instagram and twitter um and um we on our about us page you will find all three of our bios with links to to where where to find each of us also um that way you don't have to listen to us read them all out unless you want to max and emily i won't stop you (laughs) do any of the three of you have any pro any projects connected to catcall or otherwise that you want to plug or any place that you want us to send people to to see your work or is catcall the best place to to send folks for them to access your work shamelessly plug away if you have things you want to draw attention to so Um, I I do some side stuff and like I already talked about my middle name I actually named my little my solo writing projects max m-a-x wild w-i-l-d-e just like oscar wilde stories so that's where you can find me socially on all the things but I do try to talk about how being non-binary affects like my own like writing and my own perspectives and like how bisexuality and neurodivergence. So I do try to bring all of that into what I do because I think that you can't separate people. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a box to set mm-hmm. stuff aside. So. Amazing. But yeah, we don't come in pieces. It just don't work that way. Emily, what about you? Where, where do you want to be found? Um, anything you want to direct people to? Sure. So if you ever find yourselves in Kansas City and (laughs) want to know what to do, I'm the digital editor over at In Kansas City Magazine. So you can find a lot of guides for food and just fun stuff to do at InKansasCity.com. Very cool. (laughs) All right. And Raina, if our listeners want to share their reactions, their thoughts, and their own experiences um, regarding this episode with us, where can they find us on Instagram? They can find us on Instagram. Instagram. (laughs) 
don't talk about it pod that's with three h's and you can always email us yeah. as well at info at don'ttalk.com. Yeah. And again, Catcall crew, thank you so much. You all are yes. amazing. Yes. We are huge fans. And thank you so much for your for insight, your time, your everything. Um, any fans, anybody, any listeners, if you want to reach out. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you. Bye.